You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Unlike Meghan and Harry, we haven't, allegedly, had our contract with Spotify terminated. It's not often you get a chance to say that, so I've just said it. But if there was any doubt in your mind, allow me to confirm you are listening to episode 107 of the Null and Void Sports Podcast. You couldn't be in a better place. We've got a whole range of sports stories as the summer season really kicks in. We've got your contacts. And if we get angry at all, we might be angry enough to have a get a grip. We'll see later. And there's an important message about next week's episode. My name is Tony Grundy. And mine is Andy Callahan, and unlike Ginge and Whinge, we uh, won't be begging for our privacy over the next couple of weeks. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, apart from watching, obviously, the golf and the Ashes test, I now find myself with Sue's retirement from her work. I'm now getting more tasks, and <laughs> she is, by definition, around more to supervise my work. I'm not used to adult supervision. It's really quite off-putting. How about you? Um, well, I've I've given up with adult supervision for a long time. Um, but no, my weekend was spent uh, as well as watching the test and what a gripping test that was. More of that later. Um, it was at Brands Hatch for um, the American Speed Fest. So it was uh, American car racing, so NASCAR and other other types of cars, and country music festival for two days. So I went for the music, but stayed for the cars, actually enjoyed the racing. Um, They need to look at their scheduling because every time they'd have gaps between the racing, and that was when the DJ was playing on the music stage, and then every time the cars started racing was when an act came on the stage, and it gets a bit difficult to hear the music over some of those engines. But yeah, no, really good day out. Um, I think the people selling umbrellas uh, just when it started absolutely bucketing it down made a killing because nobody had taken umbrella because it was meant to be sunny all day. The heavens opened twice and suddenly this woman appeared selling £10 golf umbrellas. So I thought I'm having one of them um, and got my money's worth out of it for the day. Excellent. Excellent. Now, on my ever-growing list of sports to cover, I had golf first, US Open. Uh, I will admit I didn't watch or listen after about 11.30pm on Sunday night, but I really did enjoy my sort of daily fix of the tournament. Fantastic scenery always there, but a great tournament. The only issue, of course, with USA is time difference. You know, it actually finally, finally finished at three or four o'clock in the morning. And sleeping at the moment is not easy anyway. Mm. So I avoided that one and just waited to see the result in the morning. And clearly, uh, Wyndham Clark won it uh, with uh, Northern Ireland's Rory McIlroy um, by just one stroke in the end. Very close for McIlroy and very frustrating for him. Uh, Wyndham Clark's American and that's the first time he's won it. I well, it was only, only his sixth appearance in a major championship. I hadn't realised that whilst watching. No, he's he's a rookie, tournament. really. So mm. fantastic result. But uh, Andy Wilde's picks did very well. If you remember last week, we had a 
an email from Andy, and he said that he was going for Scott Scheffler, John Rahm, Tommy Fleetwood. Well, they all finished in the top 10. Yeah. His fourth tip, Victor Hovland, finished 19th. So I think we can say that was a uh, a very good set of four tips from Mr. Wilde. Do you think he's done enough for us to invite him on ahead of the um, British Open? I think on this occasion, yeah, I think we'll we'll let him know that he needs to keep up his uh he's set the standard now. So uh, I had a good result as well because Billy Carr, our football correspondent, does something called pick four, where everyone puts a five in and then you pick four players based on their world rankings, one from each of the sort of ten, so one to ten, eleven to twenty, etc. So I have a system where I pick the bookies' lowest odds in each of those categories. And it's been close or thereabouts for the other previous majors. And uh, yeah, my my four this week were Scott Scheffler, Tommy Fleetwood, Dustin Johnson, and Brooks Kupka. And they finished third, fifth, tenth, and seventeenth. And the one with the lowest overall scores on the placings wins the pot. So I took a I took a, a share, joint first place, and a share of the uh, seventy five quid pot. Bloody hell! Nice one. Yeah. Nice one. All right. Well, you can rival with uh, Andy Wilde when we get him on for the British <laughs> Open. Good, good stuff, though. Yeah. And um, talking about Tommy Fleetwood, I watched him. He started on the final day, 12 shots behind the leader, 12 shots. And I watched his round. And I'm thinking, he's cutting this. He's cutting this, but he's looking really confident, mm. you know. And he finished joint fifth. It's a great result in the end for him, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, it's funny how these things on the final day and Ricky Fowler, who'd been playing magnificently for the first uh, four days, um, was was out of it, you know. So on, uh, yeah, first three days, beg your pardon. Uh, so he was he was out of it in the end, and mm. um, it's it, it, the pressures, I guess, must be immense when you're getting into that final round. Both ways, you suddenly see an opportunity for yourself, or you start to think hang on, nothing's gone wrong. Well, all of a sudden, things aren't happening. And Fowler... Well, I, I remember... Who who was the French golfer that was leading the British Open and ended yes. up in the brook and was sort of rolling his trousers up to go and try and play the shot out of the water? And I just remember Peter Alice. You know, saying, somebody just stop him, somebody... And, and it was the pressure had got to him and it, it cost him the... Uh, Costing the tournament, Greg Norman was always a great one for, uh, you know, the wheels coming off on the final day as well. So, yeah, it happens. Yeah. I can imagine it must be, yeah, you know, that that hole gets, I mean, it's not, not the biggest of holes to try and put that ball in at the best of times, but uh, they reckon it gets a lot smaller um, in your mind's eye when you're um, coming down the last nine and the pressure's on. Yeah, good tournament though, as ever. Mm. Um I got tennis next. Queen's Club has started this week on from the 17th to the 25th of June. And it's the last big grass court uh, tournament before Wimbledon in the UK, really. Um, some of the biggest names will be there. Andy Murray, who's just won his last two tournaments, Surbiton and Nottingham. Typical, though, because they were saying, could he win Queen's? Well, the answer to that is no because he'd just been knocked out by an unknown Australian. And the sad thing about that is if he could have won Queen's, he would have been seeded for Wimbledon. That's clearly not going to happen. 
Um, Queen's winner last year, Berrettini, will be there. But also, for the first time, current <coughs> world number one, uh, Carlos Alcaraz. And he's a really exciting young player. Meanwhile, the women warm up on the grass at either Birmingham or the German Open. Incidentally, Cameron Norrie has just got through uh, this late afternoon to the quarterfinals, so that's good news. I saw he was teamed up with Murray uh, to play in the doubles, and I thought, ah, that could be interesting. Well, it isn't, because Murray has decided he's too fatigued. I find that fascinating, really. If Murray's playing in the tournament and he got through these first rounds, would he have said, I'm not going forward because I'm fatigued? So, And if you've already committed to playing the double, don't know. Obviously, his mind is going towards Wimbledon, but that would have been an interesting combination, Norrie and mm. Murray together. Not going to happen. Anyway, cricket. We have to talk about it, don't we? Oh, nil, nil one to the Aussies. Nil one, we have to say. But what a belter of a match. I, I watched an awful lot of it over the weekend and clearly yesterday. And uh, it reminded me of some of the great struggles of the past, but it, the, the spirit in which it was played with clearly two fiercely competitive teams, actually there seemed to be a great deal of respect for one another. In other words, we know you're a good team. We know you're good as well. And we're going to give you one hell of a fight. That's yeah. the feeling I got from it. And as a skipper, Ben Stokes clearly has got his team behind him. And, uh, you know, Cummins, you know, in terms of the role he played finally in that game as well, great captain's innings. So, uh, and he's he's one of the, I mean, he isn't a batsman. <laughs> you know? No, I mean, he, he's a, a bowler and, uh, you know, the background that they have. Mind you, the last time that the Aussies successfully chased 250, which was about, uh, or anything over 250 in the fourth innings, was about 20 matches ago. And Pat Cummings was the one then who came in as a batter late down the order and uh, and and won the game for them and got them over the line. And they got, got over the line yesterday. I mean, what was it that... Uh, you know, um, they started the day on 107 for three. And uh, yep. Usman Kawaja was there and he dug in and made 65. But once him and Alex Carey were out, uh, you know, Australia were wobbling on 227 for eight. You know, still yep. needed 55 to uh, to win the game. But then, yeah, Pat Cummins and Nathan Lyon, who the... Um, Holly's stand had tagged as a poor Moeen Alley, or words to that effect, <laughs> through their singing during the week. Uh, yeah, they 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 got them home with, I think it was only four and a half overs left of play on the clock in the day. So, yeah, you know, they, they paced it perfectly. Yeah, it was a really yeah, exciting game. And you could see at the end, there is mutual respect for the players there. And that's that's good to see. They're going to take chunks out of each other in the process, but they'll shake hands at the end, you know, and that's that's how it should be, really. But a very good advert for Test Match Cricket. And we haven't it, always said that. No, I mean, when you look at the state that England were in, in, uh, you know, the last time they played against Australia, 18 months ago, down under, and what was it, skittled for 68 in, I can't right. remember if it was Melbourne or Hobart. Yeah. Absolutely dire. So now I think you know definitely Baz Ball has reinvigorated the team, and it's it's the right way for England to play. 
but with high risk comes high reward um or, or you know or with high reward comes high risk i guess in this case so it didn't quite pay off but yeah if there's going to be four more matches like that or five if you include the washes test that starts tomorrow i'm not sure my ticket can stand that <laughs> <laughs> yeah get a good prescription yeah <laughs> yeah why do you need it because i'm going to the test match yeah <laughs> yeah and you are going to watch the women aren't you with with uh billy yeah really excited about that i mean you know the the washes is slightly different it's a multi-format series so it's done across one test match three t20s and three odis and i know you and i are going to one of the odis as well down at southampton but yeah the test starts tomorrow in trent bridge and it's the first time that England and Australia have played a five-day test um, for years. I think it's only the second time ever in women's cricket that there's been a five-day test. And the four-day test in Australia last time came right down to the wire. It had been rain-affected, but England needed just 12 runs and Australia just one wicket when the draw, you know, they ran out of overs on the final day and the draw was declared. So... Really looking forward to it. England have got a really strong lineup. So um mix of established players like Heather Knight, Nat Siver Brunt, and Kate Cross, but also debut for fast bowler Lauren Filer, who is looks really good. And then one that surprised me, it's a test debut, because obviously the women only really play one or two tests a year, but it's a test debut for Danny Wyatt, who already has 245 white ball caps to her name in T20 and uh, and 50 over. So she's been playing for England for 13 years, and this is the first time she's been picked in the Test match side. So great to see that for her because she's a really, uh, really exciting batter. You know, comes in probably number seven, can open in, in the one day in the short format, but comes in at number six, number seven, and I think will give a real impetus to the innings. So, uh, yeah, really pleased for her. Australia are obviously missing their captain, Meg Lanning, who's back in Australia with injury. So they're going to be led by wicketkeeper Alyssa Healy. And if wicketkeeper and Healy triggers any bells for those of us that are old enough to remember it for Australia, yes, um, Alyssa is the niece of Australian former great stumpsman from the 90s, okay. Ian Healy. Yeah, yeah. Remember him. Remember him. Okay, um, I got Rowan next. Henley Regatta takes place from July 3rd to 16th. I mentioned that particularly because at the weekend, the World Rowing Cup uh, took place in Germany and the GB team came back with a very impressive medal haul. Uh, six golds, three silvers and two bronze, including within that, Helen Glover uh, getting a silver in the women's fours. All great preparation, clearly, for the regatta. So that's that was impressive. So I think their standings in this year's World Cup and then the World Championships, which are a bit late in the summer, does that not then qualify boats for the Olympics next year as well in Paris? I don't know the answer to that, but it can't do any harm, can it? Yeah, so that would be... If Helen Glover is in that, if the four do make it, I think that would be her... Third, fourth, consec fourth consecutive Olympics because she won gold in London and Rio with Heather Stannard in the pair. 
and then came I, I can't remember we've got silver or bronze in Tokyo so yeah if they go to Paris in a different set of in the four that could be her uh, her Steve Redgrave moment let's hope so okay I got football next um the qualifiers for the Euros were on. And to be honest, after said it crept up on me. It was just suddenly like, oh, I didn't mm. even know. I thought they were going to be friendly internationals. And suddenly it was Euro qualifiers. I can't get too excited when it's at qualifier level, to be honest. But clearly it's very important if you're going to get to the uh, knockout group stages. And England and Scotland, Wales, Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland all played twice. England won easily against Malta and North Macedonia, 4-0 and 7-0. Now, you kind of expect that, but the job was done and done well, including a hat-trick from Saka in that 7-0 win. Scotland won twice. They're doing very well at the moment, Scotland, under Steve Clark, and um, they managed to beat Norway away after being 2-0 down. Interestingly, in that game, because it was in Norway, Harland, who plays for them, and his teammates were booed off at the end by the Norway fans. <laughs> That's not happened for a while to him. Anyway, in the second game, that was last night, they beat Georgia 2-0. Again, no mean team, Georgia. They've had a long run of success as well. But um, So Steve Clark doing very well. But the, get, the Georgia game was amazing. I was kind of following it on text. And it went on and on and on. Why? Well, they played 10 minutes. Scotland had gone 1-0 up after seven minutes. And the referee, it was all in pouring rain. The referee took them off. Ground staff come on and they start brushing the water from the pitch everywhere. And it was substantial. It wasn't just mm. a little bit. It was substantial. So the thinking was, are they actually going to come back out again? Well, eventually, eventually, and they kept putting forward the time that they'd come out again. Uh, they did come out. Scotland came out. The referee was out. But the opposition wasn't there. And they were saying, what's, what's going on? And apparently, in the background, the Georgian team, their manager was not very pleased. And they said, it's dangerous. I don't want my players playing on it. And UEFA had a little word in their shell, like, and said, get out there. Um, otherwise, you'll be taken out of the competition totally. And um, eventually, they did come out and um, proceeded to lose 2-0. So, um, yeah, that was quite amazing, though, because as they finished the game, I made a note, as they restarted the game, rather, it was 20-10, to 10, which is when their normal game normal. would have finished and all mm. the others were finishing. So it was one of the longest 90 minutes games, if you can put it that <laughs> ever. I, I mean, we, we thought we were seeing some long ones in the World Cup with all the added time at the end of games, but that, that takes the cake. <laughs> Absolutely does. So they started, you could say the second game, they started, restarted with the clock at 10 minutes. So, you know, they counted that. And obviously in that time, Scotland had already got a goal. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, and Wales lost twice against Turkey and amazingly against Armenia. So not going well for them. The island teams, Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland, both won one and lost one each. Um, 
I think I should congratulate Graham Souness. And I say that because he's not one of my favourites. But this weekend, he swam the channel and he raised over £1 million for the research to help a young 14-year-old girl, Isla Grist, who Souness met and found out she had a debilitating skin disease. Souness was very moved by her condition and decided to use his high profile to raise money. Well done, Graham Souness. A brilliant effort. It's fantastic. I mean, he's raised over a million pounds for that. And when you think, you know, that this is a guy that's had multiple heart surgeries over the last 30 years. I mean, I remember his first one was when he was manager at Liverpool way back in the uh, early 90s. And so Manu's had a number of heart surgeries over the years and, you know, uh, is obviously in the, as should we say, the latter, you know, more advanced years uh, of, of his life. And yet, you know, swimming the channel to raise over a million pounds. He, he, he wasn't a strong swimmer when he set out to do this. So, uh, again, hats off to him. Hats off to him. Um, just an aside, interestingly, adding on from our story last week about the influence of Saudis in, in football, um, as one of the sports, we've been talking about golf as well. But two top Premier League players have signed for Saudi teams this week. Neves of Wolves of 47 million. And today, uh, Kante of Chelsea is going there. I think it's a case of watch this space. Gary Neville has said they should be banned, these transfers. How's that well, going to work? I, I know that UEFA have just brought in urgent emergency rules, I think yesterday or today, to say that these transfers have to be um, at fair market value and evaluated at fair market value because the thinking is that teams might be using this sort of option and especially those that have maybe um, part ownership or other interests that the Saudi PIF have invested in. And there's, again, this is all allegations and in the press that Todd Bowley, the Chelsea owner, has links with a number of companies that are owned or um, where PIF have significant shareholding. Um, and as a result, could these transfers be done as a way to then ensure that teams like Chelsea avoid falling right. foul of the financial fair play rules because Chelsea are another one that are being yeah. investigated along with Manchester City and Everton. Um, so that's one way. And Wolves, again, by offloading player Nevers for, what was it, 47 million, yeah. is that a way of making sure that they've then got more money in, the, in their, not just in their kitty, literally 47 million, but also more money in their FFP allowance uh, to be able to then rebuild their team. It's an interesting one, and we're bound to hear more about it. And it's interesting about that potential legislation coming through. Um, brief mention of the Lionesses are playing in a week's time in a friendly ahead of their trip to Australia. We have mentioned that before, Australia and New Zealand for the World Cup. Exciting times ahead there. That game is against Portugal. Um, OK, um, Ascot, I think you said to me it's not one a horse racing uh, venue that you necessarily study too closely, but 
it's on between the 20th and 24th. There's no doubt it's a massive social event in the area that we both live, but also particular interest because Frankie de Torres last ascot in his retirement season. So uh, good luck to him with that. And obviously they've got fine weather there at the moment, so I'm sure it will go very well. Yeah, having said it's not what I follow too closely. I had um, a winner in the 420 <laughs> yesterday <laughs> afternoon uh, with Paddington. So, uh, but not not great odds at nine to four. But yeah, came in as a win. So, uh, I'd oh, be well. chatting with chatting with someone from work on a on a, on a call yesterday, and he was asking me for some tips for Ascot. I said it's not one I really follow, but I had a quick look and said quite fancy either Paddington or uh, Cicero's gift in uh, that race. So because I'd Giving him the tip, I chucked a couple of shekels on, and uh, yeah, came in as a winner. Oh, I think this gambling thing is getting to you. You know, I, I think so. <laughs> We're hearing more and more. Anyway, <laughs> I got rugby. I'm not now. not quite up there with Paul Merson yet. <laughs> no, well, I, Ivan Tony, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, rugby union next, mate. Uh, yes. Yeah, so this weekend is the Allianz Premier Fifteens final. So that brings the women's season to a close and Gloucester Hartbury are playing Exeter Chiefs at Gloucester's ground, King's home, or as Gloucester have renamed it this weekend, Queen's home, uh, which I think is a really nice touch for the weekend. So that should be a cracker of a game. Exeter, obviously, in their first season as a top flight pro team, have already won the uh, Allianz Cup the Premiership Cup, which is normally the reserve teams. It's played during the women's Six Nations, um, but they've won that. So if they win the final um, on Saturday, it's a League and Cup double. Uh, but Gloucester are looking for their first ever title as well. So it'll be, you know, it'll be a new name on the trophy, whoever wins. So And should be a really good game. They, they've both been teams that play some really attractive rugby through this season. So nice to see teams that are playing running rugby, um, winning. Um, talking about running rugby and maybe the other end of the spectrum, uh, Steve Borkick has named his initial training squad uh, for the World Cup, and England have begun their World Cup preparations down at Penny Hill Park in Surrey. Um, however, likely to be some shifting and changing this week, players coming in and out of the squad, because obviously the Saracens and Sale players, who've been on a mandatory five-week stand down rest period after the premiership final that comes to an end this week so they'll be going into camp and some players have dropped out already when uh, Northampton and Tigers players came in and I'm sure other players will make way but uh, over the next few weeks before uh, Steve names his World Cup side on August the 7th so England have got one test uh, before against Wales in uh, Twickenham before he names the side for the finals. And then he's got two warm-up games, one in Cardiff the following week and one against Fiji at Twickenham at the end of August. So, And then England will fly out to France for the start of the World Cup. Um, also, the Champions Cup draw for next season was made today. So the big news from that is that the finalists from the last two years, La Rochelle and Leinster, have actually been drawn in the same pool. Good grief! So yeah, the French, <laughs> French champions and the uh, and then the Irish uh, province who've been runners up to La Rochelle the past yeah, two yeah, years yeah. running 
Um, yeah, they'll be playing each other at the pool stages. Ah, you've got good odds on betting against that happening. But anyway, <laughs> um, rugby league. Yes, it was the men's and women's Challenge Cup quarterfinals this weekend. So uh, St Helens beat Hull 32-18, but then Hull Kingston Rovers went through with a 28-10 win over Salford. Uh, Wigan ended Warrington's hopes of a double, beating them 14-12, really close game, despite having uh, Cade Ellis sent off in only the sixth minute it was quite certainly it was a feisty start to the game. I'm not sure whether I caught it just on the telly, whether he was sent off for a second squaring up to a player or whether it was some verbals to the referee after he got a yellow card. But either way, um, normally what they do in rugby league, they're sent to the sim bin and then while the player is off, it's reviewed and can be upgraded to a red card. Much better system than we've got in football or rugby union at the moment. But with this one, it was an instant red. So I think it might have been something that was said. Um, but Wakefield thought that they'd, um, sorry, uh, Warrington thought that they'd won it um, with a try in the last minute, only for it to be called back for a forward pass. So 14-12 to Wigan in that one. Uh, Lee make up the semi-final quartet after knocking out the only remaining championship side in the tournament as they beat York 34-14. So Saints play Lee and Wigan play Hull Kingston Rovers. Um, that's the 22nd and 23rd of July, as they then look to head to Wembley for the 12th of August. And in the Women's Challenge Cup, the Rhinos beat Lee, Wigan beat Huddersfield, Saints beat Warrington, and York Valkyrie beat Doncaster, which sets up a really tasty semi-final between Wigan and Leeds at Headingley on the 23rd of July. And again, the women's final will be played as a double header at Wembley in the middle of August. All right. A lot to look forward to there. Um, F1 Canadian Grand Prix. Let me guess. Verstappen. How did you guess? Yep. Verstappen won. Um, Fernando Alonso second and Lewis Hamilton third. So that was Verstappen's 41st career victory, which takes the 25-year-old level with Ayrton Senna into fifth equal place in the all-time victories list. And the fact he's only 25 means that probably uh, Vettel and Schumacher's records up in the 50s could well be under threat. And that 25 he's already got 41 wins under his belt and let's say that I wouldn't be betting against him getting more this season Right, okay Athletics at Chelmsford uh, Keely Hodgkinson broke um, well actually got a PB um, uh, over the weekend and she was racing in the uh, 400 metres so it was a British record PB for her and a gold medal in the English Athletics under 23 championship she really is flying at the moment so uh some good signs there for the summer months that's phenomenal when you think that you know 400 is probably you know not her distance 800 no. and 1500 are her distances and really the 800 so obviously using the 400 as speed work but to then go and get a not just a pb but a record in that is is phenomenal yeah she's on absolute fire i hope that she has a, a great summer 
through the the championships. I think mean, is it the European Championships this year or the World Championships? Can't remember. And then you know, obviously the build up. Hopefully she can stay injury free and fit and have a great run into um, Paris next year. I think she could really be a hot prospect for a gold medal. Okay, next one. I don't know whether it's athletics or equestrian or Andy. Explain man versus horse race. Yeah, well, come to me if you will. Come with me if you will to a small Welsh village of Lanturid, um, where they annually run, and it's been going since 1981, the man versus horse race. It's a 22-mile course, up hill and down dale, across all sorts of surfaces, that two-legged and four-legged competitors race in. Um, and this year, uh, Daniel Connolly became the fourth runner, two-legged competitor, to beat the horses. And it's the first time ever that it's been two years running where the horses have been beaten. So normally you would fancy the four-legged beasts yeah. to win, you know, uh, two legs good, four legs better, to misquote Animal Farm. But, uh, yeah, Connolly came home in two hours, 24 minutes and 38 seconds, which was just under 10 minutes ahead of the first horse, which was DNS Ronaldo, um, ridden by Kate Atkinson. So that was a fantastic result. And as I say, that's only the fourth time in 41 years that a human has beaten a horse in the race. And the first woman home was... Susie Watmo in three hours, eight minutes and 24 seconds. So she didn't beat the first horse home, but still a great time for 22 miles in that sort of uh, condition because there's some steep climbing involved in that race. Um, normally, though, the organisers said the hot weather does slightly favour the two-legged competitors rather than the, the equine competitors. But overall, so, you know, the track record would say that the favourites were the nags, but in this case it was uh yeah, and well done, Daniel Connolly, for beating the horses. And uh yeah, really he said ever since he's been involved in running, it's been a, a weird event that has caught his imagination. And yeah. he said just to be taking part was great. He never even thought that he'd be in a position to win it. So yeah, really well done. Very different, as you say, don't know whether that counts as equestrian, whether it counts as athletics or whether it's just one of our bizarre stories that we sometimes find. Uh, it, it's a good null and void of that. We like, we like that. Okay, uh, contacts next. Uh, last week, you remember that Hugh Davis Davis told us that he always listens at his home in Tenerife. But he specifically said, although he gets it on a Thursday, he always saves it for Friday morning because he's most relaxed then. That's his habit of, of watching, which is fine. So after I sent this week's podcast out on the Thursday, Hugh said, I'll be tuned in, as always, tomorrow morning, Friday. Thanks, Tony. No, thanks to you, Hugh. A true null and voider. Love that. Also, from your mum and Callahan. on one of my Facebook stories, I have been rattling on about a day out in the sunshine at Burford Garden Centre. Anne says... Uh, um, you, if you like garden centres, well, and it's soon more than me, to be honest, um, you should try Bampton Garden Centre, which is on the A420 Oxford 
to Swindon Road. It's fabulous and a great cafe, but unfortunately, there are uh, no near. Oh, oh, yeah, there's nearby Aston Pottery, which again is brilliant, but no play area for you, Tony. She says, "Hang on a minute, Anne. I thought you were my mate. What's having a go at me now? What's going on?" You'd put in your post that the uh, one that you were at the other day had a play park. Um, I think you meant it was for the children, but uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I did, and my friends would have understood that. But your mum's let me down there. Mum's <laughs> let me down. Anyway, thanks, Anne. That's always good fun to hear from you. Thank you. So I guess well, that could be a bit of a costly one for you, though, Tony, is it? If, uh, if, if Sue's now got her sights set on a day out to a garden centre and a pottery, I think that's you, you can have to break out the wallet well, well, and the, the thing, dust the, the mops is, out of it. The thing is, at Burford, they do have both. The pottery there is very good, but Aston pottery is specifically pottery, so that sounds quite expensive to me. Anyway, as long as you don't, as long as you don't have a smashing time, it should be all right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, start throwing pottery about. Now, we would at this point have a, a get a grip, and I'm almost tempted to say I'll talk about UEFA's decision today. Remember, we're talking about Jose Mourinho berating. I mean nasty verbal assault of Anthony Taylor, the referee in his game in the Europa final, which they lost. Uh, And you actually heard some of the things he said. Not very pleasant. And I was saying at the time, because I did put it under get a grip, that uh, they should ban him for a good number of games. Well, their decision today is he's going to be banned for four games. And the club supporters the away supporters are banned from attending one game. I think they've got off very lightly there. I think it's set a very, very bad example uh, with Mourinho. Um, so it almost gets a grip there, but it will be if I was going to have a go at anybody, UEFA should get a grip and put some decent bans in there for behaviour like that. Because it does encourage, it did at the airport, his response there, the attack on Anthony Taylor, and I say attack because they were throwing chairs at him and verbally abusing him and so on. They were kind of given permission, in my opinion, by Mourinho, and it's not acceptable. So, uh, but because next well, week... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow up on that and uh, with another football one, but this is FIFA rather than UEFA, and we wait to see what will happen, although I think we know what will happen, Um, and that was that uh, New Zealand's men's national football team, not anywhere near as well known as their rugby team, but they do have a national football team, um, were playing a friendly with Qatar, and um, they were winning 1-0 when at halftime there was an altercation between a couple of the Kiwi players and a couple of the Qatari players. And New Zealand then actually refused to come out and play the second half because one of their players, um, trying to think who it was, Michael Boxall, was racially abused at the end of the first half by a Qatari player. No action was taken by the officials. um, So the New Zealand team agreed not to come out and play the second half. And I think just ludicrous that, you know, after all the issues and everything that we've talked mm. about in the World Cup, where actually, you know, let's face it, 
um, after all the teething problems, the actual World Cup itself was free of negative incidents, you know, on the pitch. Um, you know, let's put aside what off the pitch happened. But yeah, for this happening, you know, racism in that way, no place in football at all. And yet for that to happen. And, um, you know, Carlos Quiros, the um, Qatar coach, has said, well, you know, it was six of one, half a dozen the other, but I'm sure FIFA will investigate. Well, you know, let's say that FIFA seemed very, very chummy with Qatar during the World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not they take any further action. So, you know, I would say to the Qatari team, get a grip, you know, no place for this in football at all. Um, it was played in Austria, in fact. And, uh, yeah, you know, so no place in football at all for this. So get a grip on that one as well. And FIFA, get a grip of them and do, you know, take, make sure you take the right and appropriate action. Yeah, what I was going to say is um, we weren't going to have a get a grip this week because we weren't angry enough about anything. But we always find something. And there's two <laughs> for the price of one. And the reason we would have been in that good humour is that we've got a week off next week, haven't we? Yeah? You're, yeah, going yeah, to give your earlobes a rest, dear listeners. I shall be um, sunning myself in uh, in, in the uh, Canary Islands, um, pina colada in hand as I sit on a sun lounger catching up on some of my reading. Um, we'll be reading a lot of sports uh, articles and books ready to bring you all of the latest the following week so we are back with you um well it'll be out the episode on the 6th of july so you get a rest from us for a week give your earlobes a rest and we'll be back with more sporting updates from the washes the mashes from wimbledon from the uh, british open golf and from the henley rowing festival all on the 6th of july now, there might be a question there, dear listener. Um, who gave us permission to take a week off? Well, actually, nobody did, but it's our podcast and we do what we want. Genuinely, though, we'll miss you. We look forward to being with you when we're back in a couple of weeks' time. Do listen for the contact details as ever at the end for the points you want to refer to from this episode. And we look forward to being with you for episode 108 in a couple of weeks' time. See you later. Thanks for being there. Bye. Cheerio. We're all off to sunny Spain. <laughs> Singing Viva Hispania. Stop now. <laughs> Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk. 